This is an episode that I think I've attempted a few times now. Um, and I think it's about time I get this one in as concise and precise a manner as I can to do it justice. Um, in this episode, I'm going to talk about capitalism, industrialism, socialism, communism, and absolutism, and the relationship that they have with each other in a way that came about from a conversation that I had with a close friend that took place over a year. And I call this the capitalist versus socialist debates. And what I realized is it came down to um, a deep understanding when it stopped being a debate about who was right and we started to realize how we were each not wrong because we were each afraid of tyranny. We had just learned to define it differently with our ideologies. And this was something that really took me by surprise. And this started to hit me about month nine or 10 of these pretty much weekly conversations that lasted anywhere from 20 minutes to several hours. It took a long time for me to let go of, you know, the absolute belief that I was absolutely right as a capitalist and for him to let go of his absolute belief that he was absolutely right as a communist. And we came to a what felt like a universe-shattering understanding that we were both fearful of communism and we both had broken trust, but we had broken trust in two different systems. And I learned that my socialist friend did not have broken trust in capitalism as much as he did something else. And I did not have broken trust in government as much as I did something else. And that something else for both of us was abuse of power, abuse of control in two very, very industrialized sectors of the world, the private sector and the public sector. And through these conversations, I've been exploring solutions the past couple of years. This is where I've explored other thoughts such as personal property instead of the black and white of private property and public property. And a new philosophy has sprung forth through this that was wholly unexpected and has led me to a deeper understanding and an empathy for an ism that is undoubtedly hard to explain how a capitalist can have empathy for a socialist and even see a way for us to find a mutual understanding through what is still magic to most, through technology, in a way that is not only probable, 
but from my extensive research, is currently inevitable. The only matter of how long is how much attention these ideas can gain. But I'm not going to talk about the ideas of what next. If you want to look into those, you can check out um, my niche in education with the Library of Alexandria Project. That's LBRY of Alexandria.org. And uh, let's, uh, let's tap into where... I had my mind expanded, not in some sort of woke way, but definitely expanded through empathy and compassion in a way that, if I'm going to put it as a capitalist, I see opportunity. Not necessarily as much opportunity to make money, but opportunity to make allies in the fight for free market economics. And a way to bring in an entire generation of young socialists that still like things that are produced by capitalism. So let's clear up what the difference is between capitalism and industrialism. But first, let's start with some inconvenient truths that I had to face. Startups, churches, nonprofits, what do all of these things have in common? Social impact functionality. Not necessarily do all startups have that social impact uh, narrative where what they're going for is, you know, positive social impact. So let's start there. How does a startup inherently have social impact? Well, let's be very clear. If nobody's working for a paycheck right off the bat, that's socialism. This is something that wasn't very clear to me um, when I wanted sound business models, I didn't understand venture funding. I didn't understand the venture model of things. I didn't understand startups. I saw them as wildly irresponsible. Even though, you know, I'm in the millennial genre, I should have no reason not to love startups. But there, let's, let's admit the inconvenient truth as capitalists. Startups are <laughs> using socialism to start a capitalist organization until it becomes sustainable to go from socialist to capitalist. This is also apparent in how, you know, churches and service and nonprofit, they use social impact to justify essentially um, a nonprofit version of socialism. And it's pretty much flipped on its head with the goal to become for profit with a startup to become a company. And this is not important to justify socialism, but just to establish the baseline that there is some type of socialism that works. Just as much as, you know, any sort of church 
isn't quite socialism as long as they're not being a government of an area. Like, that's cool. Like, that's all and well. Like, more power to that type of socialism. I mean, I think every capitalist can agree that socialism in the hands of government can get dangerous real quick. But let's... Let's look at the argument of socialists that want socialism in government. Why is that? Well, they often point to capitalism as the problem. But me as a contrarian, what I eventually found out once I, you know, argued otherwise for about nine months is that industrialism is not the same thing as capitalism. I would call it many things, crony capitalism, uh, big business, uh, corporate conglomerates. Uh, but at the end of the day, industrialism is corporate conglomerates. It is a monopoly. That is the goal of industrialism. This is what... Um, Rockefeller said back in the day is, you know, competition is sin. He was one of the defining moments of modern industrialism in the world's second industrial revolution, America's first. And it was baked into the core. You know, he is a fundamentalist Christian. Not that all Christians are fundamentalists, but he was a fundamentalist Christian. He said that, you know, monopolies align with his ideology it's not to say that you know all monopolies are religious that don't misunderstand me because that is not so but it is a very fundamental belief this monopoly that we are absolutely right and anything that competes with us is a sin that is at the heart of industrialism, which is really hard to compute as a capitalist for me because, you know, the industrial method gets things out in a very efficient method, a very cost-effective method. But <laughs> to what cost? We obviously see the benefit of letting go of socialism for capitalism to go from a startup to a company. And this is hard, especially for, you know, people who prefer the fundamental business models like I did to even see the benefit of startups. But we don't really have that same sort of trade-off option for when a company needs to industrialize their processes, streamline their processes, prepare for growth. So there's an invisible line that's crossed that goes from capitalism to industrialism that we haven't really defined in a way that really people know about. And I've, I've been researching this for about a year, and the closest line that I can see crossed to go from capitalism to industrialism is an IPO. Like, I'm not really seeing anything else because, let's be clear, you know, industrialized production can be used in socialism, it can be used in capitalism, it can be used in communism, it can be used in industrial. It's The lines are very blurry, but that's a tool. The mass production is a tool. Digital production is a tool. You know, these are different types of mass production, whether it's a physical copy or a digital copy. These are all types of industrialized mass production. 
So industrialized mass production doesn't mean industrialism. And there's really no clear-cut line to cross to go from capitalism to industrialism. So I understand why this is going to be just as confusing for other people as it was for me that it took me nine months to think outside of my own thought processes, to have empathy, not to convert to become a socialist, but just to try and bridge a divide. Because man, like I feel like we are weakened as a world when half is socialist and half is capitalist and then the other half doesn't know what the crap to believe in. And I know that doesn't add up, but that's kind of the paradox it feels like we live in. And I started to realize really the only line I can identify is an IPO when a company goes public. And I've researched this some more, you know, the how we're actually not really clear on what actual public property is. We're if there are states' rights for public property, it's not actually public property. If there's not public open access for public property, then it's not really public property. And I'm not going to go into the politics of that too much because that's a, a whole you know Pandora's box in itself. Uh, but if you want to explore this some more, you can check this out in my library of consciousness. Uh, check out my.libraryofconsciousness.com. That's library spelled normally. Um, and it's it's definitely some very confusing times we live in. And the more clarity I get on it, the less confusing it becomes. And I realize no matter how much I know, it's still going to sound confusing to those who don't know what is needed to know to pique the curiosity to motivate self-education on this or to, you know, dispel confusion. Because once confusion sits in, at that point, we only have the ability to neutralize it and try again. Um, So I apologize if this is more confusing than curiosity peaking at this point. Um, Although I do stand as a living witness that you can talk to a socialist for a year and not come out the other end more pissed off and come out the other end with more empathy than you ever thought imaginable without converting. Um, I found this really, really interesting. And I realized more and more the things about Industrial tyranny, monopolies, uh, you know, the getting government, the tools of industry, whether it's communism, socialism, or a democracy is a very, very dangerous thing. And that's something I know I can compute as a capitalist. So realizing that we need to do a better job defining the lines of socialism and capitalism because if if there is blurry but they can provide good results like a startup or a church or you know any sort of nonprofit that does real good then we can also accept the fact that you know 
if socialism, when it has a lot of power, can do a lot of bad, that we need to do a better job defining the lines of how to get that control away from any sort of, you know, mega organization, whether it's big government or big business. The fact of the matter is, I can guarantee you, if you're a capitalist listening to this thinking, I don't know, well, I can guarantee you that no socialist wants a a Stalin or a Hitler. And if you think they do, you are sorely mistaken. And this is something that I was sorely mistaken about. I thought they were just too dumb to see. They're not. They're not too dumb. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is most of these socialists have learned about this in ways that it isn't taught in schools when they learned it. It may be taught in schools now. That's debatable. But the fact of the matter is, is any socialist over the age of 25 was not taught this in school. So let's be very clear about this. Is If you meet a socialist that's over the age of 30, 35, they learn this through self-education. And we owe it to ourselves as fellow humans to ask their why and not to believe that they don't know themselves better than we know them, but to just keep in mind that, you know, maybe you're like me and maybe you jump to some assumptions and believe that they were just too stupid to know the difference between socialism and Hitler and Stalin and Lenin. But I realized that I was conditioned to not listen to anything that was different. I was conditioned to not listen to anything that wasn't easy to get in, you know, a checklist format. When it comes to mind-expanding stuff, raising awareness, it's, it's not about converting. It's about listening beyond when it's comfortable. Because the fact of the matter is, is I see math as very, very useful now. But when I was a kid in school, I did not want to listen to the math teacher. I did not see how it would be useful to me. And you know what? That eventually became self-limiting because by middle school, I kind of gave up on math. And I never passed pre-algebra um, up until the day I was done with compulsory schooling. And now I have relearned much of math and taken it further because I realized I chose to stop listening. I chose to believe I knew enough. And as it so happens, I probably would have if I had done anything that, you know, I probably wouldn't. (laughs) I would be totally content to do if I wasn't a capitalist. So I'm realizing I need to relearn to listen. And that happened to be on math. And you know what? That was pretty dumb of me to want to stop listening on math. But when it comes down to it, we're not doing a very good job listening anymore as a humanity, as a human race. I mean, there's a reason why Google and Apple and Tesla and Facebook and all these companies no longer require college degrees to get hired, especially for management positions and leadership positions, were lacking in human communication skills. And at the root of all human communication is our ability to listen. And the 
sign of a bad listener. And I can attest to this because I fell victim to it. I still feel, fall victim to it. But at least now I'm trying to constantly work on realizing that if something is uncomfortable to listen to, I shouldn't listen to it because I want to. I should listen to it because if I don't want to listen to something, that's a sign of being a bad listener. Because it doesn't matter if we know better. Because that person that is communicating with us is a real person. And they deserve our attention long enough to be heard. And I can guarantee you, they're not going to listen to your points. Which you will have good points to share after they feel like you listen to them and you don't get to decide when they feel listened to. You don't get to decide when you know what they know because it doesn't even matter if you do. It only matters if they believe that you've listened to them. And it took me nine months to get through the same conversation until I stopped trying to fix the problem in somebody else's thinking and just started to listen. And I realized that the problem wasn't theirs. The problem was shared. Neither one of us were listening. And I don't remember who listened first. All I remember is, is when I first chose to listen, so did they. And now we have a more open mind for a brighter future with more hope than I could have ever imagined. Letting myself believe I should just absolutely hate socialists and everything they stand for. It doesn't doesn't mean that I need to become a socialist. It doesn't mean that they're right. But I have learned that they're not wrong. And that's a hard one to compute. But absolutism, you know, it it corrupts right and wrong. To where not right and not wrong don't really count. Unless you have absolute right, absolute wrong, you don't want to listen to anything incremental. The fact of the matter is, incremental improvement is exactly what innovation is. If we're going to innovate our way back to free market systems, back to, you know, stable economic practices, back to, you know, free commerce, you know, if we're going to innovate, you know, past this, you know, desire for state control or communist control to figure out something better, we have to start with incremental progress. We have to realize We can't know what's absolutely best if we don't even talk about what's next. If we can't even take a risk on what's next. Because you never actually know anything other than what's next. Anything past the immediate what next is all speculation. Whether it's two choices down or 20 choices down. It's all speculation. You can't actually know until you make that next move what the move after that can actually be. 
And this is something I missed, practicing absolutism. And this, I know, is something that is so crazy that if I had heard myself a couple of years ago, I would have given some intelligent argument like, you know, you're full of shit. Like, (laughs) socialism and communism has, you know, caused the fall of every, you know, city that had a chance of success in the past 150 years But I could also argue that, you know, sanctions have led to the collapse of every single socialist state in the past 150 years. It doesn't mean that I'm recommending socialism for government structures. All I'm saying is that there's a war between industrialism and socialism and communism that I wasn't aware of until I started expanding my awareness and seeing who the real adversaries on the board were. And now I'm no longer busy arguing my potential allies. And I'm creating alliances that I don't think myself two years ago would believe me if I talked about them. So I'm not going to talk about them. Not on this podcast. All I can say is... It was worth it to go through those maddening conversations, trying to convert a socialist to realize that it wasn't a zero-sum, me convert or they convert. Something bigger than I ever imagined came from it. And all I'm saying is what I'm talking about isn't right, but it sure as hell is not wrong.